Welcome to the Arrive Podcast, the U.S. Immigration Law Podcast for Canadians. I'm your host, Jeremy Richards, along with fellow U.S. immigration lawyer, Christine Jerusik. In today's discussion, we will be talking about the border interview for a TN visa. And I guess you can say also pre-flight inspection, because you can apply for a TN visa at either a U.S. land port of entry or at pre-flight inspection, which should be at an airport such as Pearson International, um, or applying in person at the at the Peace Bridge in in Buffalo, for example. And what what should you expect during that interview process? What is the CBP officer looking for, and how you should be prepared to discuss certain items during during that interview process? So they typically look at at several different things when determining whether or not you are admissible to the United States to work on a TN visa in the United States under the USMCA. The first thing and often the easiest thing for them to determine is what is your citizenship? Are you a Canadian or Mexican? Because Mexicans can qualify under the USMCA as well. You have to be a citizen. It doesn't matter how long you've been a citizen. You could have got your citizenship yesterday. Sure, we even get calls from people that aren't citizens yet, and they're just inquiring because they see a lot of job offers in their area of expertise. They say, I'm getting my citizenship next month or next week, and I I need to know what what I can do in order to qualify for a TN. And as soon as they get it, they can apply, and they can get a TN. Even if it's the first day of they receive that passport in the mail, they can go to apply. But you cannot apply as a permanent resident. And we get a lot of those calls, too. I'm a Canadian permanent resident. I want a TN. Well, you have to be a citizen. So that's generally easiest. Are you a citizen of Canada or Mexico? Yeah, that's a yes or no. (laughs) And you want to have a valid passport, too. Um, You can also apply with a Nexus card, but you need a valid uh, entry document where they can issue a TN visa. And it's best if your passport is valid for the period of time that you're asking for on the TN. That way... When they issue it to you, you they can issue it for the full amount of time. Otherwise, they're going to have to uh, cut it short by the term that your passport is valid for. And then you'll have to go back to the border um, or back to the consulate to get a new one issued in your new passport. Yeah, so what they'll do is they will approve you for the entire time period. However, they can't stamp you, stamp you for longer than your passport is valid. Right. So save yourself a trip. Um once they've determined you have the proper citizenship, then the next thing they're going to do is see if you have a job offer from a U.S. entity. Now, that can be a little bit complicated. The vanilla the vanilla offer is you have an IT company that wants you to come into the United States to work as a computer systems analyst. And you have a job offer to work for that company as a computer systems analyst. And that company is incorporated in the United States or it's an LLC, but it's established. Actively doing business. Operating for a good period of time in the U.S. and has employees, yeah. Has an office. It's a legitimate employer in the United States. You can also, however, have uh, a relationship with a U.S. entity. Maybe you are a Canadian company that has contracts with the U.S. entity and you send employees down to service those contracts. Or maybe you yourself are an independent contractor in Canada and you're servicing a contract in the United States with the U.S. entity. That works as well. The important piece of this is that there is a U.S. entity that 
is being serviced either through you as an employee or through you as a contractor or through a contract that you might have as a Canadian entity servicing that U.S. company through contract. So there has to be a relationship with a U.S. entity to come down and get that TN visa. The third thing they're going to determine is whether or not what you're coming down to do in the United States falls under a USMCA profession. And we've talked about the, there's 63 USMCA professions that you can come and work under. And this one can get even more tricky uh, because there's professionals in all that come from all walks of life, right? All different education backgrounds, all different fields. And sometimes it's not always clear whether or not what you're coming to do in the United States, whether or not your profession is on that USMCA professions list. For example, what we get calls a lot for for individuals that drive truck. They are long haul truck drivers and they want to get a TM visa to come down and work in the United States. That's not a USMCA profession. It no, doesn't that's follow not the possible, list. right? Um, we, we we I've seen crazy ones. One of the one of the I guess funniest ones that I ever received was was an individual coming down. Um, he said he's a management consultant. And he turned out to be a mascot. <laughs> I forget what. Yeah, he like was, a team mascot who dresses up in the big yes. furry suit. Oh. <laughs> and he was a mascot for the Toronto Raptors. Oh. And he had an offer, and I think it was for the Spurs. He if was I a remember. high end mascot. Yeah, he was a good mascot and all right. So, you know, he's good as what he was doing, but uh, that is not, uh, that does not fit under management consultant for the USMCA. We also get a lot of executives, and this one probably is one that uh, uh, we, we see more often than not is managerial or executive positions. So people that are very qualified, maybe they have an accounting degree, but they're being hired as a CFO for a company. They're not working as an accountant anymore. They've progressed to a managerial level occupation, and they're managing people that are doing accounting work, but they, they themselves are not anymore. So you got to be really careful in those cases because if more than 50% of what you're doing is not that profession, so accounting-related duties, then you may not qualify for a TN. Right, yeah. If you're a C-suite executive, you are probably not going to qualify for a TN. Um, they see that title yeah, and their eyes are going to light up and they're going to... They may not even read the rest of your documentation. So title is very important when, when you're talking about a profession that you're applying under. A title can trigger a response from that border officer that could derail your application altogether. And employers fight a lot of the time on this when we're trying to help draft letters for yeah, their employees. Yeah, they sure do. I, I think they have the impression that the more important the applicant is, um, the better chance they're going to have to get approved. Um, but that's not necessarily the case most of the time. Yeah, if it's not a USMCA profession, it's not a USMCA profession. It doesn't matter what you call the person, right? Um, but the, the title uh, triggers definitely triggers responses from border officers. And what employers and applicants don't understand is when you're applying for a TN visa, you're applying under a, a, pro, a, a profession, you're not applying under a job title. Employers have all sorts of crazy job titles. You may have a different internal job title, 
but the duties that you're performing are the duties of an accountant or the duties of a computer systems analyst. Right. Those duties are, those are key. But also you need to identify that proper profession, right? That you're applying under, not your internal job title. Internal job title oftentimes is a lot of fluff. Well, and, and you have to be careful there too. So um, including your internal job title along with um, the, the TN profession can sometimes be misleading as well. I had an applicant uh, last week who went to the border and his employer had listed his, his job as uh, computer systems analyst and then in brackets, software engineer. Again, two separate professions. Um, so we had to work with the employer to get that change because that guy would have definitely been denied. Yeah, you, you can't apply under two professions at once. The border officer is going to say, now, which one are you? Are you this one or that? And if a lot of times someone will send or an employer will send an employee to the border with just their internal job title on the letter, they're applying under, you know, this job title. Well, that job title is not a USMCA profession, even though it might be. And it right. might and there's fall a lot, under one. There's a you lot have of, to identify what profession you're applying under or else they won't they won't right. review your application. They'll just turn you away and say, come back with a better letter. And a lot of IT professions are like that. So again, they have all of these fluffy titles that really don't mean anything. But when you dig deep and you look at the duties, then you can identify, okay, it falls under this USMCA profession. That's what you should be applying under. You're not applying under your internal job title. If you do that, a lot of times it can cause complications and refusals. Well, a lot of time the title does mean something to the employer, um, but it's not going to mean anything to the border officer is, is the issue. So you have to make sure it's vetted for what an officer is going to expect to see um, for the TN, it identifies for them what category you're applying under, even though you may call the person something else once they walk through the door of your establishment, um, the officer is going to want to have it laid out for them properly. Yeah. So they, they're going to look at your job title and your duties. And when they look at both of those, they need to line up under USMCA profession. So in our experience, the easiest way to do that is just to apply listing the USMC profession is what you're doing in the United States. That's your title. I'm an accountant. I'm a dentist. I am a graphic designer. A lot a of times that's what their sales. title should be. But, uh, you know, people who do the org charts and, and set up their businesses a lot of times come up with some pretty account interesting. administrator. <laughs> what is that? That's yeah. pretty, pretty broad. That could mean anything, right? Yeah. You see some crazy titles. Um, or the, the project manager that's yeah, not really a manager. project manager. What does that mean? So, and a lot of those are red flag titles too, right? Like we already discussed. So you got to be careful. You need to be applying under USMCA profession and the duties need to line up as well. Then the other thing they're going to do is they're going to verify, are you actually qualified to perform these professional duties under the USMCA in the United States? And this one can get even trickier when you get down to this, um, depending on what your profession is. Uh, if you're coming as a management consultant, a dreaded management consultant, and the border loves, their their eyes light up every time they see somebody applying as a management consultant. They, they love seeing management consultants apply. Why? Because they have a lot of discretion to be able to approve or deny those applications. So as a management consultant, for example, you can qualify because you have a degree, and that a degree means at least a four-year degree, or you could have five years of experience as a management consultant or five years of experience in a special specialty related to a consulting agreement. A lot of latitude there. 
in order to qualify. But it also gives the officer the same latitude to approve or deny your application based on those qualifications. So you need to be able to demonstrate that you have those qualifications when you're applying. What does that mean? And we talked about this in a previous uh, podcast that we had. It's the actual degree. You need to have your physical degree with you at the border. If you're applying based on experience, you need to have those experience letters there to prove it. You can't use a resume. Resume is self-serving. If you're an accountant and you have a license, you're a licensed or a chartered accountant, you need to have your license available to prove that you are. If you're an engineer, the same. Your, your license is an engineer or if you're relying on your degree, a degreed engineer. So you need to be able to demonstrate that you meet those minimum qualifications as listed under the USMCA in order to obtain that TN visa. If you can't demonstrate that, they'll turn you away and ask for you and to yeah, return. And in proof. most cases, there's no substitutions. So you can't substitute a diploma for a degree. You can't substitute, you know, or three years of job experience and a two-year diploma in management to create five years of job experience for a management consultant. It's pretty straightforward. When you look at it under the, the um, USMCA, that's what they're looking for. And the easiest, and management consultants is probably where we run into it the most, where they have difficulty proving their qualifications because a lot of them don't have degrees and they've been consulting for, you know, let's say 10 years. Or they do, and their degree might be unrelated to their job experience. And, uh, you know, then then what do you do, right? Yeah, you have to prove it's closely related. But in that case, the safest bet is to come prepared with at least five years of proof that you've been doing this, uh, either through former client or employer letters. And we had a client recently go to the border. He had what what we thought was sufficient evidence. The border said, eh, we, we don't think that's enough turned around, came back with a mountain of evidence because this, this individual is self-employed as a consultant of contracts, of tax returns, of proof of work that he'd done for previous clients and then was able to prove to the officer, okay, he is qualified and he was able to get his TM visa. In, in those cases, it's very important that you come with substantial evidence to prove your qualifications. The next thing they're going to look at is what is your intent when you're entering the United States? A TN visa is a non-immigrant visa, which means when you're coming to the United States, your intent must be temporary in nature. You're just coming to perform this job, and at the end of this job, your intent should be re to return to your home country, not to stay in the United States permanently. And if they think or you say that you are coming to the United States to live permanently or to get a green card or to immigrate to the United States, they could refuse your entry on that alone because and you're demonstrating I mean, even that if intent. You've been in TN status for 20 years. Sometimes we get calls from people that have had TNs for 15, 20 years and they need to go back to the border to renew their application. Um, their ties to Canada at that point are pretty thin. Um, but as long as they're maintaining that intent to resume their residence in Canada at the end of their this recent status that they're trying to obtain, um, they meet the requirement. Um, so a lot of times it's not really that much of a hurdle to overcome uh, if they've been employed. Most of the time it doesn't even come up. Most of the time it doesn't. Unless, unless there's something in your history or you say something that triggers it. That's right. when you run into problems. But there are also underlying things that can trigger it, right? Maybe you have a relationship with a U.S. citizen or a U.S. permanent resident, and they've 
petition a green card for you. So we got a call yesterday from someone who was looking to renew their TN status at the border, um, but they were denied because um, they had already filed, uh, not only had they filed the petition, their spouse, their U.S. citizen spouse had filed a petition for them, it had been approved and they'd already completed the immigrant visa processing for their, um, at, at the consulate. They just hadn't attended their interview yet. They were just awaiting interview. They are documentarily qualified for their green card. Um, and they were denied at the border because of immigrant intent. So you have to be very careful in those situations. You, in some cases, you can still obtain a TN visa even if you have a pending I-130 uh, or a green card. You just need to be prepared to, to show that on this entry, you don't plan on staying, that you're going to go back in immigrant visa process once it's approved. And then in those cases, they will most likely let you enter on that TN visa as long as they as long as they're comfortable and they think that you're going to return and do the process correctly and not do what's called adjustment of status in the United States then they'll let you enter on that TN visa so you need to be extra prepared in those situations especially if you have those ties to US citizen family members and an approved application to come into the United States and one other thing that they really dig into when they're doing these applications is who is your employer? Who are you coming to work with for in the United States? So if you're coming to work for IBM, you know, there's not going to be a lot of questions. Or you know, it's a household name. You're coming to work for Amazon, that's a household name. Uh, you're coming out work for Apple. You know, those things an officer can easily determine. Okay, that's a bona fide employer. They're legitimate. They're they have operations in the U.S. Have thousands of employees. They're not going to question that. Well, I mean, yeah, they're not going to question the employer, but you still need to show up with a properly prepared applications. How many phone calls do we get from people that were denied coming in to work for Amazon or Apple um, because their paperwork was done incorrectly? Or because they had a TN in the past, so they assume that because they had one in the past, they're just going to be approved again. Right. That happens a lot. Yeah, so it still needs to be done right, but as far as who the employer is, the officer's not going to have a lot of questions about those, those yeah, employers. So, but if you aren't working for one of those employers... That's where you need to maybe have additional documentation. If it's a small employer or a new employer, you might need to bring additional documentation to prove that this is a legitimate employer. And in and, the United States. And by States, new, we mean you, you less don't have than a year. Less than a year of operating history. But I've even seen them question it where they have three to four years of operating history, but maybe it's a very small operation. Um, and there's not a lot of information out there about that employer. Yeah, and they could question whether or not they have what's called professional level work for you to do under that USMCA profession. And if they don't think that this company has work for you to do in the U.S. under that profession, they could refuse your entry or deny your application. So if it's a smaller employer, you can front load an application with evidence to prove that. And I've done TNs TNs for startup companies that are months old. And in those cases, you need to be extra prepared. Come with a business plan, come with proof of funding, come with proof that they actually have an office space, that they're actually incorporated, and they'll still approve it. But you need to show that it's a legitimate company, that they're active and operating in the United States. So the bigger employer, that they can easily Google and identify, okay, this is a legitimate employer, you're going to have less pushback. But a smaller employer, you're going to have a little bit more, you could have a little bit more pushback. Also, depending on what your profession is in the United States and, and who the company is you're coming to work for, that can also raise red flags. Right. right. For example, 
So I've done a TN recently for someone who was only the second employee hired in the U.S., but they were coming in to work in a role that the company needed. And it was clear based on the company's, uh, you know, what they were doing, that they needed individuals with this qualification. So it made complete sense that they would hire him. And a lot of times the officer just wants to make sure this makes sense. But if they were hiring someone like a management consultant to come in to the U.S. to advise a one employee on how to run the business, yeah, that's going to be questioned. They're going to they're going to assume that that's an actual employee, not a consultant. So yeah, you right. got to be careful. And th- so the role that you're performing in the U.S. Uh, for the type of company can be a red flag too. So for for example, another one is a technical publications writer. Uh, technical publications writers, you know, you can write about many different things and we get calls all the time from people are like, hey, can I fall into this category? Technic- I'm writing about this. Well, if the employer, if it doesn't make sense for that employer to have a, a technical publications writer on staff, then they're going to be highly questioned. Uh, even if you may be the only one they're hiring for that role, you better come prepared to address that that issue. Yeah, and some board officers, when they see technical publications writers, they want you writing a manual of for how to operate your microwave when you purchase it. So they're <laughs> they're it depends. So some of those occupations can be very very scrutinized. And again, yeah, your employer has a lot to do with that. Right? Who, Does who it make sense you? that this per that this company is hiring someone in this role? Yeah, and they'll, they'll connect all those dots. So when, when you present yourself at a port of entry, you need to be prepared to discuss all of these these items. You need to be able to prove that you have the proper citizenship. You need to show that you have a valid job offer from a U.S. entity. And that job offer, by the way, must be original, right? We oh, original, that. yeah, ink signature. On their U.S. company letterhead, if it's coming from a U.S. company. Or if you're a Canadian company servicing a U.S. contract, it has to be from the U.S. Uh, client proving that you you have that arrangement. And they want to see originals. Yep. Wet ink signature on letterhead when you do that. And is your profession a USMC p- profession? Are, do you have your proper qualifications with you? Do you have your original degrees? Do you have your former employer letters? Can you prove that you have that experience or that education? Yeah, and that sometimes even out? transcripts if you've got um, we always a closely rec- related degree. We always degree. say bring your transcripts, yeah, It doesn't hurt to have them. No matter what. Some officers won't approve without it, and it'll it'll give them the e it'll put them at ease too when they see that and they can see you have those courses that line up too. And then, what is your intent? Are you coming to stay permanently, or is this a temporary in nature? And is that employer that you're working for in the United States a legitimate employer doing business in the United States? And the other thing people ask is, what questions am I going to get asked at the border? <laughs> well, I love that one, yeah. right? Well, yeah, well, some officers will pick up your application. They'll look at it. They'll see, oh, everything's in order. They may ask you oh, what your name is, a few questions, and they approve you, and it's 10 minutes, and you're gone. You're like, wow, that was easy. Well, you had good documentation, and that officer had his coffee before he talked to you. Um, <laughs> or someone could have a very different experience where they present the application materials to the border officer. The border officer throws them to the side. Says, yeah, ah, and they just want to talk to you. I, you tell me, what are you doing? Yeah. How do you qualify? And then they'll interrogate and drill you. And what questions can they ask? Well, typically you're going to ask the questions around your qualifications and what you're doing in the U.S. You know, how do you qualify? What is your profession? What will you be doing? Uh, where is the office located? 
things of that nature. But they could ask you anything. And one thing to keep in mind is when they are doing this, they do throw some easy questions at you every time. And I've, Christine and I have both been at the border when they used to allow attorneys there and have witnessed the interview process. They'll ask the easy questions first. And the, to me, I call this the litmus test. They're going to ask you, what is your name? What is your citizenship? They know the answers to these things. Uh, have you ever worked or lived in the U.S. before? Have you ever, have you ever been convicted of a crime? They have the answers to all of these things in their system. And they're verifying whether or not you're going to tell them the have truth. Have you ever been denied entry to the U.S. before? That's another one. And, and people hide that information. One of my favorites is when I was at the border with a client, and it was a pretty straightforward TN application. I forget what his profession was, but I had no concerns about this guy being qualified and having the right documentation. But the border officer kept asking, have you ever been arrested? <laughs> my client my client said, no, never. The officer said, are you, are you sure? Have you ever been arrested? The client said, no, I, I never have. And then the officer said, okay, I'm going to let you sit down. I'm going to look at some stuff. <laughs> and I sat down with my client and I turned over to him and said, you've been arrested, haven't you? He's like, well, no. I said, he's only asking that repeatedly because there is something in the system. He's giving you an opportunity to tell to the truth. Clean. Right. And it's not necessarily going to keep you out of the country, but lying about it might. And he said, well, there was this time when I was 18 years old, and I forget what it was, something petty But it that was he did. sealed. That's usually oh, yeah, it was sealed. sealed. So nobody knows about it's it. It's not sealed for immigration. Right. And ever been arrested, convicted, they have the records of these things. So if you think you're going to pull the wool over their eyes, you're wrong. If anything, you're going to be then given a bar for entry because now you're lying to a border officer. Right. And a lot of these things are so petty. And yeah, you're right. You did it when you were stupid and a kid. But don't lie to the border officer about it. it. They're not asking because they want to refuse you based on that. They're asking because they want to see if you're going to be truthful. Because if you're going to lie about those simple things that they're asking you in the beginning, then you're probably going to lie about the rest of it. What are you doing in the U.S.? What yeah. are your qualifications? Yeah, you're going to lie about the rest of it, and they're not going to believe anything you say. Yeah, they don't trust you anymore. Another thing we see a lot is people's uh, social media or LinkedIn profiles or the company website doesn't align with what they're applying under. I'm a CEO, but I'm applying as a management consultant. Right, or and I'm, a, I'm an account executive or uh, something along those lines, but I'm applying as a management consultant. Those things need to line up. So if you have a LinkedIn profile that's public, or there's a website out there that's indicating that you are something other than what you're applying as, you better realize that the officer is going to be aware of that. And there's they a have good a chance. computer <laughs> and they have internet. Right, right. So sitting right before them, and they will search who you are. They'll search your company, and whatever comes up, you need to be you need to be aware. And they could also take your phone. I had a client ask me this the other day. Actually, it was a somebody who I was talking to who's not a client. He said, "Yeah, I came into the U.S." And they took my phone and they were searching everything. Can they do that? I said, yeah, absolutely they can. They can do it to me as a U.S. citizen. You have very limited rights at, at, a, at the border. And they can look in your phone and they can check your text messages. They can check your email messages. And another thing they can do is they can call your employer. Oh, right. Yeah, and we oftentimes they do. Mm -hmm. And if they call your employer and your employer gives different information then you're giving it the border. That's, that's a, not good. <laughs> that's a red flag right there. Hey, what's Bob coming in to work for you? Who's Bob? 
<laughs> I've seen that before <laughs> because they call and they get some receptionist or something that yeah. has no idea about the range. That's not good either. So make sure you're giving a phone number to somebody who is aware of your job offer, aware of your position. Right, and let that employer know when you're planning to go and make this application so they're aware that During if- California and you're applying at 8 a.m. in New York, yeah, you need that, to be ready to right. answer that call. Yeah, they should be they should be prepared and and ready to answer any questions that the officer has. And I've seen officers in. make people sit for hours until somebody will answer the phone too. And we just actually saw somebody. I just actually saw somebody yesterday who went uh, to apply, and the employer gave conflicting information. Ooh, that's to not the good. application. Guess what happened? Denied. Denied. So. It's very important that whoever's answering that phone needs to be aware of the situation and and be able to answer the questions properly. Even if it's uh, somebody who's completely ignorant about the process, doesn't know who you are, can't confirm the information, the officer might use that against you. I also had a client who was simply going to the United States and, and to return because his visa was expiring. And he was coming back to do work for the same employer. They They called... The employer to confirm what was going on and the individual who picked up the phone it was a cell phone number mm-hmm. and the individual who picked up the phone wasn't uh the person that was the contact it was i think it was his wife <laughs> and the border officer called and the person the wife picked up the phone and said who is this the border officer was expecting this to be the company, right? Right. Hi, you're calling Richards and Drusick Immigration Law. How can we help you? But it was a lady. It wasn't. It wasn't the guy or the company. And the the wife who answered the phone was unaware and not expecting a call from immigration. So the border officer refused this individual's entry because he said that you're not a legitimate company. I called and some random person answered and had no clue who right. I, who so, you were and what was going on. So if the signatory on your letter wants to put down their cell phone number, just make sure that they're aware they're the only one that's answering the phone during that time period you're at the border. And that's, I haven't seen that happen very often. No, me but, neither. But that's crazy. So yeah. th- she answered because the phone was ringing, didn't know it was a border officer, and then answered incorrectly, and then he was refused. But that just gives you an idea of the latitude that they have in making this determination as to whether or not you should be approved for a TN. Um, one thing can go wrong, and that could derail your whole application. Yeah, the, the, and the latitude that they have is crazy. And I had a client tell me this the other day that um, he said, you know what, your job as an immigration attorney is very difficult. He was a consultant. Very difficult. He said, I, could, I, I see how many different ways that this can go wrong and that somebody can be denied if things do not line up correctly. And I said, yes, I said not. And I appreciated him saying that because not a lot of people understand that. And we're good at what we do. So we make the process easy for people. They take that for granted. You get the client that says, how hard is it just to fill in a few forms for me? Come on. Yeah. Well, there's a there's a for legal, us it's not hard because we know what we're doing. But there's a legal decision and determination that goes into each box that's checked on those forms and each word that's put into that support letter. Uh, there's a reason for it, and there's a legal determination that's been made to include it or not include it, for that matter. And the questions you give it, 
to the answers you're asked at the border also in comparison to what it says on those documents. And then again, the answers that your employer might give over the phone, all of these things have to coincide. And if there are things that are off, raise red flags with a border officer. I mean, they can be forgiving about small typos and things like that. But when you have major discrepancies in duties and titles and education, even salary, even salary. Can, if you have a really low salary, it can mm-hmm. trigger it. Even a high salary, right? right? Why so are you high. making three hundred thousand dollars as an accountant? <laughs> yeah, I think you're a CFO. Right? You're not an accountant. Yeah, and they could deny you on that basis. So, there's a lot of things to consider before you present an application at the border, and um, a lot of questions they can ask. It, it's really unlimited. And they could also request additional documents outside of the traditional documents required for for a T, TN visa or TN status when you apply at the border. They, uh, even CBP's website is deceiving. It says, all you need to do is present uh, a, an offer letter from a U.S. employer and you're good to go. It's not quite that simple. So before you apply for TN status at a port of entry, make sure you understand what the process entails. Make sure that you are prepared before you present that application. At yeah, it always entry. makes sense to, to give an immigration attorney a call before you go just to make sure that you have what and you need. It leaves need. a permanent record, Yeah, by the way. it does. Right, so if you're Whether denied. Whether you're denied, refused, whatever it is, even if it seems like it's something minor, well, it's still in the system. Mm-hmm. And it, it could haunt you for a while. At least a year is our experience. If, if Even if they refuse you for, uh, they could haunt you when you come back as a visitor. Oh, yeah. I had a call. I had a call from someone just this week that had been denied for TN at the border um, and then tried to come on vacation with his family a few weeks later. Previously scheduled vacation they'd had for a year. They were going to Disney or something along those lines. And the officer said, no, I think you're coming into work. So, no, you're you're denied entry as a visitor. Um, He's pretty upset about it, but. So don't take this process for granted, whether you've been approved for a visa in the past or not. Mm-hmm. Make sure you're prepared. Make sure your documents are in order. Make sure you're aware of what to expect at that that border interview or pre-flight inspection interview because it, w- it will make the difference between you being approved or denied and then also your, your, your future and your ability to cross this into the United States as either a worker or a visitor will be impacted right. by this, with this process. With this process, it never makes sense to wing it and just hope for the best. Make sure you are prepared and you have the documentation in order. And, and then if you do, the process could go smoothly. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Arrive podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. And join us next time as we continue to discuss U.S. immigration law topics. Thank you for listening and have a great day.